Let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at a message I've called the three groanings. The three groanings. And I got a couple more messages in this chapter, at least one more after this one. It's been a real blessing to go through this. I mean, I could park here all year long in this chapter, I'm sure of it. There's so much here. I hate skipping over things, but you just have to. And what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll start reading um, verse number 18. I think uh, Ben will only have 19 on the screen, <clears throat> but I'm going to start in 18, and we're going to move down uh, to verse number 27. So verse 18, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And we looked at that last week. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know... Uh, not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just be with me as I bring forth this message this morning. I would love for it, Lord, to do a great work in the hearts of each individual here. Lord, uh, but I need you for that. Lord, your Holy Spirit must do its work today in the hearts of individuals. I pray, Lord, that uh, if there's someone here that's lost, oh, Lord, today that they'd be saved. Lord, if there's a Christian here that isn't handling life the way that you want them to, I pray, Lord, that today they learn something that would help them to move forward in victory. But, Lord, we just trust that you're going to do something for your honor and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the three groanings. The first groaning I want to look at here is the creature's groaning or creation's groaning. Now, the word groan, everybody knows how to do this. We hear it all the time. We get up Sunday morning, there's a lot of groaning going on. <laughs> it's sighing. Uh, it can be when you get out of bed and your back is, oh, you know, or maybe your knee hurts like me and every time I get, oh, you know, my wife is probably getting used to that little groan every time I stand up, especially in the morning. But the Bible says in Romans 8, 19, for the earnest expectation of this creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Uh, so the earnest expectation. So you get this picture in your mind. Uh, earnest expectation is basically waiting for something with your neck outstretched. So it's kind of like you're kind of, when is it going to happen? You know, and the Bible says that's what creation is like. This whole creation is looking for redemption. It's looking for a fixing. Uh, the earth isn't happy with itself the way it is. The planets aren't happy with themselves. In fact, the whole 
planetary system has been touched by sin. I mean, you name it, it's all been touched by sin. Creation groans. Verse 20, it says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together day. And by the way, evening and morning is 24 hours, by the way, in case you're wondering about beginning. They start in the evening and, they, and the morning is the last part of the day. Amen. And so we know it was a 24-hour day. Before man's fall into death by sin, there was no corruption at all. Uh, before our sin creation, trees bore perfect fruit that was tasty. You'd never find a worm in it. The grass did not wither, did not die. You think about that for a second. We're so used to things dying around us as a part of our natural cycle that we're living in today. But in the garden, it wasn't so. Everything was alive and stayed alive. Amen. The flowers stayed in bloom. Now, we're used to having flowers sometimes for a little time, and then they die off. You buy your wife flowers, she puts them on there. It looks very nice for a couple of days, but sooner or later, it just starts dying. That's because of the curse. Every time you see that, the creation is groaning. Creation is groaning. Every time you see grass dying, creation is groaning. Every time you see a tree rotting, creation is groaning. It's waiting for the redemption. It's waiting for to be fixed up. Uh, animals did not die before that time. But now we see animals all over the place. You go down Deerfoot, every now and then you'll see a deer on the side of the road. Could someone smash that thing and it died? That's because of sin that came into the world. Creation was condemned to vanity. It was very good, but then it was condemned to vanity. And vanity means to be worthless or empty or futile. Now, we like to make a lot of, put a lot of emphasis on creation today, and the tree huggers will do so, and those that uh, make a big part of climate change, they're trying to save the world and so forth. And I'm all for taking care of the climate, and I'm all for taking care, you know, don't litter in the, in the ditches and uh, be careful of how you handle uh, things around you and so forth. But folks, uh, you don't worship earth as God. Amen. It's cursed. There is no mother earth. There is no mother nature. It's not a person, it's a system that was put into place. And at the beginning it was very good, and then because of sin it got, it got very bad. And we're reminded, and God gives us a reminding every single year, every, every winter we see the trees die off, and it seems like, where'd they go? They're dead. And all of a sudden in the spring, there they are, they're alive again. That's why many people, even heathens, would, would celebrate spring because of the new life, and it gave them a little bit of hope in their heart that it's not so bad out there, amen? Now we know what it's there for in the first place. We know that it was there as a reminder that... If there is death, there is also a life that follows if you want it. God gave us that. So in a way, you know, the earth is preaching to us. It's telling us to get saved. It's telling us to, to take part of the resurrected life of Christ. It's telling us you don't have to let the tomb be the end of your road. You can have a resurrection. Amen. The Bible says, or in Genesis 3, verse 17, it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou, thou hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. See, don't listen to your wife. No, I'm just kidding. It says, Because thou hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. You ever go to work and, it was, and it's been tough? 
that board doesn't want to fit the way it's supposed to fit and that whatever doesn't want to work the way it's supposed to work. I remember working underground. You never knew what's going to happen when you put your bucket in the ground, what's going to be under there. And all of a sudden, groundwater just comes in and you're up to your waist in water trying to lay pipe in that or whatever. And you're saying, wow, this is tough. This is tough. It wasn't before the fall. The fall made everything tough. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And so you're going to go out there, you're going to plow the field, you're going to put seeds in there. Some of those seeds are going to be eaten by birds. Some of them are just going to rot and some of them will take hold. And you know, it's not giving forth its yield. It's not what it would have if sin wouldn't come into the world. Yeah. You don't have to remind farmers of that. They know that every time they plant, they're hoping and praying that they'll have a good harvest. Why? Why are they hoping and praying? Why wouldn't it be that if I threw a whole bunch of seeds in the ground, all of those seeds would bring forth fruit? Because of sin. Because of a sin-cursed world. Now, you can look at that and you can try to say, this is everything I need and this is all I want and we need to save this and go on forever in this. Folks, that's not what creation is saying. Creation isn't saying we want to continue forever like this. That creation wants to be redeemed. It wants to be fixed. It wants to be transformed. And it's going to be, the Bible says. Now the weeds will choke the productiveness of the plants and disease and parasites would suck the life out of trees and suck the life out of animals and that's why they have sometimes rings around the trees where they're trying to keep the bugs from going into it and we got to constantly think about this cursed earth and how that it's dying and we got to try to keep it alive over and over and that's what all the politics are they're banking on that well folks it's going to happen there's nothing you can do about it, it doesn't matter how many electric cars you put on the road this earth is cursed yeah. now you say are you here just to make us feel bad well no i'm here to make you think right the bible says in isaiah 24 verse 4 it says the earth mourneth and fadeth away the world languisheth it and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. Well, I'll tell you something, a big thing happened that day when man gave dominion over to Satan. You know that in the, in the first six weeks of creation, God handed over the keys of this earth to man, said, I give you dominion. That means I want you to dominate over this planet. I want you to be in control of the trees. I want you to be in control of the fish and the birds and the animals. And now it's amazing what's happened after the fall that man is trying to make the animal in charge of the man. But God gave dominion to man. But the moment that we sinned in the garden, the moment that we took of that fruit and disobeyed God and chose a different master, we gave dominion, we passed it over to Satan. Now the Bible says that all of us are walking according to the course of this world if you're not born again. That you were born in this cycle of Walking according to a certain course. The Bible says according to or in measure to the prince of the power of the air. By the way, the devil's not in hell today. The devil is very much in our air. All these visions. This guy wrote a book and saw, he saw the devil in hell. Why would the devil go to hell if he didn't have to? 
Now, the Bible says that hell was created for the devil and the angels. It wasn't created for you, by the way. But the Bible says that hell enlarged itself because man chose to follow a new master. You don't have to. You can be saved. You can escape that. Hell wasn't created for you. It was created for the devil and the angels. But they're not there yet. There's a few that have been held in everlasting chains, the Bible says, from the beginning. But ever since then, the devil and a whole bunch of those fallen angels, they are still very much free and on a leash, must, I must say, according to God. They're on a leash. The musicians can't do whatever they want because if they would, we'd already be gone. God cares about people. He even cares, cares about the lost. He cares about people that, don't, that aren't saved today. He wants them to stay alive as long as possible until he can get the gospel to them and get them saved. Where is the promise of thy coming? Well, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. These people are out there, they're mocking that Jesus Christ hasn't come, and they don't realize the reason why he hasn't come is because God loves you too much. Yeah. If he were to come in your lost state, you'd be lost forever. Just thank the Lord that he, he knows what you need and give him the time he needs. And folks, I know you want, you want this to be over, and I know this curse of the earth is, is crying out for redemption, but it's got to continue on for a little while longer, and you have to suffer along with it for the sake of the lost. That's why it is. If we'd all be saved on this earth, he could just continue on to the perfect age, but that's not what's happening. He's bringing into domination everything that was lost in that garden that day. Animals started to bite people. Animals started to kill people. You know, in the millennial reign, the Bible says that the, the lamb will lie down with the lion. That the child will play upon the, upon the, the den of the cockatrice or the, uh, the asp or the poisonous snake and with no fear of being hurt. Because the Lord is taking back that which was lost. That's the process. He starts with your soul here today. He starts with you. He's taking back his people. But in the millennial reign, he's going to take back a lot. He's going to take over the government. He's going to take over the nature of animals. He's going to take over the aesthetics of the world and everything that goes on within the world. He's going to take it all over. And the Bible says that at the end of that thousand-year reign, he's going to bring, finally bring sin under complete domination and the flesh, because the flesh will, be, will be, still be there through for a thousand years. But at the end of that thousand years, he's going to make it's done. And the Bible says he's going to hand over the kingdom to his father. Amen? Yeah. It's a process. And you know what? So this earth has got to suffer for a little while longer. Don't listen to these people that say, you know, the earth is going to be gone in 12 years. That's just plainly stupid. It's not only stupid, but that's heathenistic. That's, a, that's a words of a lost person that doesn't believe the Bible. Can I tell you that the Bible is very clear that you've got at least another thousand years on this planet. Add another seven for the tribulation from this day forward. Right now, you've got at least a thousand and seven years. At least. And tomorrow, you'll have another thousand and seven years. And the day after that, another thousand and seven years, unless the Lord comes, and then the countdown starts. So don't listen to this 12-year garbage. One thing I'm seeing today more than ever is within our politics, within 
people, uh, they're starting to swallow this stuff. And even those that say they're Christians, they're not saying that this is wrong. And hey, the Bible says, they don't care what the Bible says anymore. Folks, the Bible is true. When it comes down to the end, the Bible is the only thing that's going to stand true. The Bible says that those that do the will of God abide forever. Your own plans are not going to stand. But the Bible says, like Cain, that when he testified of those things that were righteous, that, that being dead, he yet speaketh. You want something to last in your life? You want something to last after you're dead? You better do the will of God for your life. That's the only thing that lasts. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ created this world. The Bible says, for by him were all things created in John chapter 1. You know, Jesus Christ is the creator. Not only the creator, but he's also the sustainer. So you think about that, you know, God, Jesus Christ could have withheld himself and his power on this earth the moment that we gave dominion over to Satan. But, you know, even in its fallen state, the Lord is still holding it together. Aren't you glad about that? Because in your fallen state, he could have let you go too. But the Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Those little molecules or cells that are Holding together, your atoms are called laminins, and inside of there, if you put them under a microscope, there's just a little cross in there, every one of us here, that's holding you together. You're upheld by the word of his power, the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns you. He made you. Amen? And yet the whole creation groans, and the Lord is just holding it. Why is he holding? Because he says there's more lost people need to be saved. Beasts are consumed in the birds because they say, he shall not see our last end. You better do right. I'm not talking prosperity gospel here. I'm talking rebellion against God. They've rejected the Messiah. They've rejected Jesus Christ. But yet they still have a purpose. There still is a, where they will be the light to the Gentiles like he promised from the beginning. Because God doesn't do something just to fail. He, he does it. And even though you mess it up, he still finishes what he starts. Israel. And even in their fallen state today, in their rebellious state, do you understand that if you were to take a a shot of Israel before and after they took control, how much greener it is today? The Bible says that in the millennial reign, that Israel and that holy area is going to become like a Garden of Eden. There's a very definitive line with the borders next to them. (laughs) If you look from a satellite position, you'd see there's gray and there's green. And a very straight line between. Yeah. It's like God saying, I'm blessing my people. Not necessarily because they deserve it so much, it's because they have a part of my plan. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Some of you folks, you need to understand, you want your life to be good, you think you get a good job and make some money and that's all, it's gonna, that's all you're going to need. I'm sorry, that's not all you need. The Lord's going to let your pockets have holes. You're never going to be able to pay your bills even though you're making more money you've ever made. You give God your life. Then you'll see it start turning green. It's not based on how big your paycheck is. It's based on how big you believe your God is. Amen? Amen? Creation groans for deliverance. 
Verse 21, it says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we know that this earth will not continue. It's going to end. And he's going to create a new one. And the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that when Jesus Christ comes, that the earth will fade away and there will be no place found for them. That means that there, even the molecules, like whenever you burn something, there's at least ash. But when Jesus Christ and God show themselves to this earth, it's going to dissipate in such a way there won't even be an ash left. There'll be nothing left of this earth. It will melt with a fervent heat, the Bible says. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of of God, wherein the heavens shall be on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what it's about. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. In other words, it's like this. This world is falling apart. This world is wicked. The heathen are trying to grab onto it and they're trying to say we're trying to save it forever for our future generations, forever and ever and ever, not realizing that global warming is coming. But in one very short day, And he'll melt this earth with a fervent heat. And not because of you driving a car. Because God's dealing with sin. So what he's saying here, Christian, if you know this, if you know that God is going to come and deal with this earth because of the curse that's on it, why in the world are you living like God will never come? Why are you living? Actually, the earth is actually expecting it. The earth is actually anticipating it. The earth wants it to happen. Why is it that we are sitting around as if it's not going to happen? (laughs) That's why he says, you know, we ought to be the ones, because we know these things are going to take place, we ought to be the ones that say, hey, I don't want to be a part of this cursed system that we're in, where we just kind of die off and, you know, try to grab on to what we have and that's all we get. (laughs) We're beyond that. We live a life that's beyond that. We're supposed to live holy and blameless. Why? Because this is not the end. This world is not the end. The reason why that people live the way they live is because all they see is this earth and the death of it. Folks, that's not the end. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a heaven that dwells righteousness, the Bible says. And you know what? Knowing this, he says, knowing this, people, why are you not living in righteousness? Why are you choosing to live the cursed life when you've got such blessing waiting for you? Amen. Many of us, we say, oh, I believe God, Jesus is going to come. And, but that will be evident in your life. The Bible says, he that hath this hope in him purify himself even as he is pure. That means you're the bride waiting for the bridegroom. You're preparing yourself for his coming and you're living a life that's reflective of that that preparation. Amen? Amen. 
We're not waiting for this earth to, to blow up. We're not waiting for holding on to, oh, this is the only hope we've got. We've got to keep this, you know, we've got to get rid of all the straws. We've got to get rid of, you know, somehow this is going to save the earth. My goodness, there's no saving this earth. And it's not because of climate change. It's because of the curse. It's because of sin. And that curse has touched you. Believers groan in this world too. The second groaning. Verse 23 says, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now we have received the Spirit, the first fruits. That means the Spirit of adoption. If you're born again here today, that's because the Holy Spirit has come, has come into, your, into your heart. That means you're regenerated. With no Holy Spirit in you, you're not saved. He seals you unto the day of redemption. You've got the first fruits. So you think of this cursed earth and all the cursed people, and the Lord comes down and he touches you. He says, I'm going to leave something with you. I'm going to leave you the first fruits of heaven, the first fruits of your inheritance. So here we are groaning, but yet we have the first fruits. So something must be different about the way we groan and the way the world groans. The Bible tells that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Then he goes on to say, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. In other words, you're going to sorrow, you're going to lose loved ones, you're going to have a mother that dies, a family, uh, somebody in your family will die, and you're going to sorrow, and that's okay. But all I know is this, you're not going to sorrow like the world sorrows. That's because you have the first fruits. So you've got a touch of heaven already inside of you. you. You've got that hope of something beyond the curse that the world does not have. Amen? That's why we don't go and hug the tree and won't let it go. <laughs> we know that tree's going to burn. We know everything's going to be gone. But our focus isn't on that which is cursed. Our focus is on that which is blessed. Amen? Yeah. Believers have the first fruits. The foretaste of our inheritance, we already have that. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Uh, the Bible is very clear. You'll be blessed if you trust God. Amen. We groan to be glorified in our spirit, soul, and body. Your three parts. Amen. Your spirit's already been glorified. You've got Christ inside of you. He already indwells your spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells your spirit. But your soul, my goodness, Depression, anxiety, corrupt thoughts, inclination to sin, misplaced affections, physical sickness, lack of mobility. I know what that feels like. Loneliness, heartaches, betrayals, abandonment, hatred. All these things are in your heart. And you have the first fruits. You groan. You groan when you're hurting. You groan when you're betrayed. And every time you're reminded that there's got to be something more here. There's got to be something better. You know. We groan with patience because we have the first fruits. Verse 24, it says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Something about the child of God's hope is different than the world's hope. The world's hope always has a question mark to it. I hope, I hope this happens, I hope, I hope. 
I ask some people, like, do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I hope, with a question mark. They don't know. If I were to ask you, are you going to heaven? Would you say, well, I hope so, and that's a question mark there. But with a Christian, it's not a question mark. The word hope in the biblical sense is, an, is a confident expectation. So it's always a period there. You don't say, well, I hope, question mark. You're saying, I have a hope, period. I have a hope. And it's real, and I'm expecting it, and it's going to happen. Amen? This is hope, not seeing it. So if you were to see it, then it would no longer be hope. You'd already have it. So a lot of us, we say, well, I would just rather just see it. Well, sure. <laughs> but do you know that your hope can be just as powerful as seeing it by faith? And not only that, the Bible says, for by faith, uh, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you know that right here in this time right now is the only time that you as a believer can actually please God? Yeah. Without seeing soon as you see, he says, well, yeah, it's a given. Oh, I'll follow you now, Lord. Yeah, duh, you saw me. <laughs> you see the God of heaven and all his majesty, like you're going to say, I don't want to follow you. Even Hitler will say, I'll follow you. He just won't be able to. You understand? We have a hope, and we have it by faith. And so we believe what the Bible says, and that hope isn't a question mark because we have a Confident expectation because we have promises that are period promises. They're yay promises. They're not nay promises. Or they're not yay and nay. They're not always, oh, well, maybe. <laughs> if you're talking to people about the Bible and they're saying, well, maybe, maybe, well, then that's just because they don't know the truth. Because when you get into promises, every one, the Bible says, is yay in the Bible. That means every one will come to pass. Now, there are conditional, there are unconditional. There are some promises say hey, all things will work together for good to them that love God. There's a condition. If you love God all your life, no matter what you've gone through, will work out for good. If you don't love him, it's not going to be good for you. Because you have to empower that goodness by your obedience. Amen? But then there's also other promises. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says that whosoever shall call shall not be ashamed. How many of you have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation? I did that. I hope you did too. Do you understand that if you've done that, and if that was a true trusting of your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Bible makes you a promise that you will not be ashamed. You know when you're ashamed? When you're putting your trust in something that doesn't take you through. You're all confident. Oh, yeah, I'm going to win this game. Because I'm better than everybody else. Then they whoop you. Oh, I'm ashamed. Why are you ashamed? Because you thought you were better than you were. You thought you were more ready than you were. And that's what brings shame. When you put your faith in something that cannot produce or cannot make it to the end. But when the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name shall not be ashamed. What he's saying is, when you get to the end it's going to follow through. And heaven is going to be there. So don't let any of these people come up to you, hope, question mark. Hope, question mark. You say, no, sir, I'm not ashamed. 
I will not be ashamed, and my hope is period. Confident expectation. Be careful, because even Christians, that if you've not been taught scripturally in church, they'll cause you to question the promises of God. Don't listen to that stuff. Keep coming back here. We'll, we'll teach you. Amen? Amen? Patience. So we have this first fruits. Patience means to persevere, to remain under, a bearing up under. The reason what's going on today with people, the reason why they're all drugged out and drunk and all these things, they can't handle the pressure of life. They've gone through something, they don't know how to handle it, so they medicate. They call it self-medication. <laughs> Somehow this is easier for me to go through this if I'm just numbing my brain. That's what the whole thing's about. And the world is caught on to that and say, yeah, let's just numb you because we really don't have your answer. Well, can I tell you something? The Lord does have the answer. (laughs) And he's told you how you can be in a part of a cursed creation and yet you can hope with patience. Patience. That means you can persevere. You can remain underneath. That means there's pressures that are going to come upon you in life. They're going to bear down on you. And you're going to say, oh, I can't handle this until the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you know, you know what? I can do this. I can bear underneath this. Not only that, you have the promise, but you also got the example. The Bible says that he, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's patience. Endurance is patience. So if you're patient, you're an enduring person. If you don't endure under pressure, then you're not a patient person. I've heard some people say, well, I'm not a patient person. (laughs) As if that's a part of your personality. It's not a part of your personality. It's a part of your character. It's a part of your belief system. It's a part of your doctrine. But it's not a part of your personality. Patience is something that comes to you as you believe in the word of God. It's not natural to man. And the thing about patience is patience approves your Christianity. That means it proves you're a Christian. If you're not a patient person, you're going to have a hard time convincing people of that what you have is worth them having. 2 Corinthians 6 forces, but in all things, approving ourselves as a ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. So they were approving themselves in all of these pressures. That's how you approve yourself to people. So if you're blowing up and getting angry and losing your top every time you go through something, then you're a person that is not approving yourself in the hearts and minds of people as being a child of God. Patience is the evidence of God strengthening in your life. So if you're you're becoming patient, it's because God is strengthening you. It's a part of his strength. In Colossians 1.11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. So not just patience, but longsuffering, and on top of that, joyfulness. I mean, you don't got to walk around and say, oh, life is bad, I'm going to continue, but I hate it. <laughs> you, know? you don't have to live like that. Having this hope that's a period... <laughs> causes you to go forward in patience, confidently expecting exactly what God said was going to happen. So you're not going to be, you're going to be, praise God. And even though you're hurting, you can say, you know what, for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. 
Amen. Joyfulness. And that's evidence of God strengthening in your life. So have you been patient? Have you gone through something this year? Have you gone through a trial? Health trial? Have you gone through a family trial? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know why we have to go through it. I know why you're going through it. Because he's trying to build you and make you patient. He uses suffering for that. Amen? Doesn't that make your suffering better? What if your suffering had nothing to do with anything good? Then I'd run every time I could from it. <laughs> Probably deny that it's happening, <laughs> you know. But to have the Apostle Paul say that I want to be a part of the fellowship of Christ's suffering, to actually desire it, knowing that it makes you into what God wants you to be, it, it, it makes you a patient person, makes you long-suffering, it actually increases your potential of joy. Wow. Patience must be followed after. Must be followed after. First Timothy 6, 11 says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. And he's talking about fornication, talking about sin and those things the world's offering you. Just say, no, I'm going to flee those things. But then it says, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, Patience and meekness. These words, man, I could preach a whole message just on those five words right now and it'd be powerful because patience, the confident expectation, meekness, meekness is you finally, it's, it's you letting go of your power for once and trust that God is doing something in your life that's outside of your control, and you just got to say, Lord, whatever you do, that's good with me. That, my friend, is meekness. The opposite of meekness is, well, I'm going to take the bull by the horns, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be the one in control of my destiny. That's opposite of meekness. (laughs) But the Bible says that the meek shall inherit the earth. Your reward is going to be the earth and the millennial reign. You'll be the one ruling and reigning. If you could just trust the leadership of Christ today, he knows that he can trust you to help lead with Christ tomorrow. Amen? Why would he put you in a position of leadership in the millennial reign if you can't trust him today? It's going to have a direct coalition. (laughs) He says, if you suffer with me, you'll reign with me. Wow. So my suffer is going to have a, a, a correlation with how I'm going to reign with him in the, in the millennial reign. How patient I am. How meek I am within these situations. If I'm always losing it, I'm always out of control. He said, I can't give you any place. I can't use you over there. And I'm sure you want to be used, don't you? Yeah. Now I understand the Bible says I'd rather be a, a doorman in the in the tent of God or whatever it is and live in the palace of the wicked, whatever it is. I don't know what, <laughs> I'm just paraphrasing. But you know something? That, that's a cop-out. Sure, that is, should be a heart attitude we have today. But you know something? That's, your desire should be more what God wants for you. What does God want for you? See, there you're still not giving up the reins. 
We don't even give up the reins on our humility to God. <laughs> you know, we still try to control it with our humility or our version of it, our brand of it. The, the patient should inherit God's promises. In Hebrews 6.12, it says, That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's a lot of promises that you're going to inherit through patience. There's a lot of things that God wants to do for you if you're just going to stay faithful. Faithful. It doesn't say unless your IQ is 200 or what's the highest. Nobody has 200. 100 and something. It's not where I'm at. (laughs) Faithfulness, folks. Faithfulness. In, In the steward that a man be found faithful is the one thing all of us could do. No matter what your skill level is. No matter how smart you are. Everyone here, and being faithful, I'm sorry, that will not fly with God. He said, what I require of you, you are able to do. And if you're not doing it, it's because you're choosing it. Amen? Faithful. Patience is an evidence of hope. Evidence of hope. Patient people know there's something better. They know something else is going to happen. They know there's an answering. They know that there's a reason for my suffering. They know that there's a heaven after all of this. They know there's an accounting. They know they're a steward. They know that they've been given a managing position with God. And all you have to do is simply manage what God has given you. That's a patient person. They know that. So a patient purpose person is a person that has hope, period. Now, don't come to me after service. I'm not a patient person. I won't slap you, but I'll ask somebody else to do it. Because <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> you're not a patient person because you're not trusting. This earth is cursed. It's got its end. Why are we going to live like the rest of the world, holding on to the burnt trees, holding on to the fruitless vines? <laughs> oh, we've got to make this last forever. No, man, it's not going to last forever. Now, it'll be more than 12 years, I'll tell you that. But it will have an end. So the Bible says, do you understand I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth? So live like it. Yeah. Live like it. Christians today were grabbing on. Oh, give me just money. I got to make more money. I got to get more stuff. You, you know, the Bible says that a, that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. It doesn't even say that partially consisteth. It doesn't say it doesn't totally consist with the things that you own. It says it consisteth not. There's not one part of your life that God is looking at that has anything to do with what you own. Not one thing. And I'm going to tell you something. Your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, the greatest thing that you can leave them is far greater than what you own. You leave them a testimony of someone that had faith. Your testimony will live on forever. Forever. 
He that doeth the will of God abideth forever, the Bible says. That's what I want my grandchildren to know. For it's for their good. They say, Grandpa did it. I'm going to do it too. You're going to put your focus on this world and the mammon of this world and the money of this world. I'm going to tell you something. Your children are going to run after that. It's going to burn. And they're living just like the rest of the heathen of the world. But God says, no, that's not what I want from you. How much more should you be knowing this, he says. How different your life should be knowing that there's a perfect heaven and new earth coming. Amen? Because we're living a life of hope, period. And we have patience. And we take a hit. And we're not crybabies and thumb suckers. And we don't, we don't give in all the time every time there's pressure in life. We know how to take those pressures and shift them up to God and say, God, give me this help that I need today. And we continue walking through. Not only that, the third groaning, and I'm not going to get there today, I'm going to be done, but is the groaning of the Spirit of God. See, when you're suffering, when you don't know what, what to do, the Spirit of God groans for you. And by the way, that groaning has nothing to do with tongues or heavenly language. My goodness, man. The devil has messed up that passage in so many people's minds. You know what it has to do with? It has to do with God caring enough about you that he searches your heart and he knows your burdens. And when you don't know how to verbalize it, when you don't know what he, you don't even know what to ask for. He says, don't worry about it. I got this. And he groans on your behalf to the Father. And the Bible says he does that according to the will of God. Now, I don't know how to do that sometimes. Lord, what is the will of God here? I don't even know what to do. But all I know is, Lord, I want to do right. And the Holy Spirit says, I got this. Because I know what the will of God is for you, and so does the Father. And I'm going to take that burden you got. I'm going to transfer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Why didn't I know? Because I didn't even know what to pray for. I'm just calling God. It's like Nehemiah. You know, he was burdened about Israel. He was burdened about Jerusalem, about the walls being broken down. He was weeping. He was sad. The king looks at him and says, Nehemiah, what's going on here? Well, in those days, you'd go sad before the king. He could take your life right there on the spot. But the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed. Just like that, he just, the king said, Nehemiah, what's going on? And the Bible says, Nehemiah prayed. What did he do? Get on his knees. Dear God in heaven, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, <laughs> creator of the world. No. Help! Help, Lord! I need you now. Yeah. And then he took his burden. He brought it before the king. And God came down. He touched the heart of that king. And he moved like the rivers of water. Moveth it whithersoever he will. He said, well, let's send you down there, Nehemiah. Why don't you go build those walls? And why don't I give you a lot of stuff to go do it with as well? I'll give you some protection as well. All the things that you need. That was God. What was the prayer? Help! Yeah. Who was in between? The Spirit. 
groaning. Oh, Father, he cares about your people. We know what the will of God is. You want to use Israel in a powerful way. Please send Nehemiah. Give him what he needs. Boy, there's a lot that came out of that help. Amen. God did it. Today you're beating yourself up. You don't even know the will of God for your life. You know you know how to pray for it. <laughs> you know, the Bible just says you need to call to him. From a genuine heart to say, Lord, I just want to do the right thing. I don't even know what that is anymore, but could you please help me here? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to pray. Sometimes all I could do is just go to the Psalms and just read, God, this is the way I feel. You just pray a Psalm to him. Say, Lord, please help me. I don't even know what's wrong. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know how to verbalize this, Lord. And you know what? The Holy Spirit of God, he helpeth me in my infirmities. He, he aids me. He supports me. He's lifting me up. And he's taking my prayers. He says, let me sort this out for you, son. And he does perfectly. So you keep your tongues to yourself. That's not talking about tongues. That's talking about the help of God. It's talking about God answering your prayers even though you don't know what to ask for because you've been in a corrupt world, a cursed earth. You don't even understand what you need. God says, I will take care of you. Amen? And I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe that's where you're at. Say, I don't know what I've been going through, Pastor. I've got things going on in my life. I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to. Be meek. Be patient. Call to God. The Spirit is groaning for you. Creation's groaning. You're groaning.